Vertigo Voices coming at ya. We have good theme songs, <laughs> plural. I think that was the keeper, though. Um, that one might stay. Kind of nice groove to it. So. It does. It does. <laughs> We're getting our dance on. Yeah. Um, Hello, everybody. Yes. Good morning. Another edition of Vertigo Voices. We're up to episode seventeen. And oh, they right. thought we wouldn't last. <laughs> well, look at and that. by they, I mean me. Because <laughs> <laughs> editing is annoying. <laughs> well, maybe someday, someday I can help you out on that. But that's like a vague someday. Well, it's not It's not a two-person job. <laughs> that's no. not how this works. <laughs> no, it's not. It's not. But, you know, like alleviate some of the burden. Like, one day you can send me a file and be like, I don't want to work on this. You do it. Eh, we'll see. <laughs> okay, episode 17. First things first. Phone check. We're good. Did you figure it out? I did. If you'll allow me to <laughs> double check. He's double checking my phone. He doesn't hey, believe good, me. good job. I'm, you'll have to forgive me. For, <laughs> we've been down this road time and time and time and time again. We have, we have, but now we're in, we're good. We're well, good. All right, good. Phone check. The lesson has Worked. been imparted. Okay, so um, the first thing right out of the gate today is we've actually got some big news. Exciting. Exciting news. And that news is DC Showcase are coming back. Cheers. <laughs> I have to swallow some coffee there, folks. DC Showcase original shorts are coming back. Coming back. All right. Yes. <laughs> I completely caught you off guard you with did. this. You did. <laughs> this is news to me too, yeah, folks. The DC animated movies, they, uh, what, like three, two years ago or something, they had a series of shorts that they were released before the, or on the same disc. Um, the last batch, actually these go back like 10 years, but the last round of showcase shorts were um, Sergeant Rock, Death, there were some others. <laughs> oh, Adam Strange. And, uh, and Phantom Stranger. There might be one that I'm missing, but I think that was it. Death, Adam Strange, Phantom Stranger, and Sergeant Rock. And they varied in quality. Um, the Death one was fine. Sergeant Rock was fun. Starred Carl Urban as Sergeant Rock. Oh. And um, Phantom Stranger was boring. And Adam Strange felt like it was written by Zack Snyder. Oh, dear. <laughs> yeah, I did not like that one. DC announced that there are four that are being released for the next few features. The first one is Blue Beetle. Wait, I say the first. I don't know the order. So there's Blue Beetle. Ah, oh, fuck. Hold on. <laughs> oh, no, okay, I remember. Blue Beetle, Commandy, um, The Last Boy on Earth, <laughs> The Losers, and Constantine. Okay. The Constantine was going to be a little longer than the others because um, apparently it's going to uh, anchor like a short collection or whatever. So that's cool. Uh, that means two of those have the potential to be Vertigo adjacent, depending on which version of the Losers they pick, because the Losers is a, a group of characters that like originated in the 50s or 60s as a war comic, and then was reinvented in the 2000s as a Vertigo comic. So, I don't know. That was, that was interesting news to me, that uh, Constantine is getting another adaptation, and the Losers may as well. Sounds like a good little variety pack. Mm -hmm. When can we expect to see these? I don't know. Sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> Who knows? They always, when it comes to the animated stuff, they always put the announcements out like way far in advance because it takes forever to make animated content. But yeah, that, that was interesting to me. I'm curious to see where that goes. <clears throat> and then there was, I guess, some other minor news. <laughs> um, Sandman related. No big deal. But uh, we finally got a taste of the cast of the Sandman Netflix series, which was pretty cool. But there's one cast member that was not mentioned in that rollout, but who has been officially cast. Have you heard about that? I have not. So the first news, this came shortly before that, is that Taron Edgerton was cast. I heard that. I heard that. Okay. Because okay. he played John Constantine in the audio drama, but uh, they have not said who he's playing in the series. Oh, but he is going to play someone, though. Yeah, he's he's cast, but okay. again, they're keeping, they're keeping his role a secret for now. So, huh. um, that's interesting. Obviously, speculation has been crazy rampant. Everyone's saying he's going to be Constantine. 
I can't remember. There were some other choices that they thought. But obviously, Constantine seems like the obvious choice. But who knows? I still... I still don't think they have the rights to the character, though. <laughs> that's something, yeah. That's a character that's already being adapted currently on a TV series. He's on Legends of Tomorrow, played by a different actor. Right. Owned by a different company. You know, that's a, it's a WBCW show. Netflix is their competition right now, now that HBO Max exists. So it feels really odd to me that they'd have that character on two different shows on competing streaming services. It does. I, I don't... Yeah, I'd be surprised if it happened. But we'll see. I don't know. But the bigger news is that they announced the first, what, seven cast me- members of the show. They did, they did. Um, my favorite comment about it was was uh, Neil Gaiman when he rolled them out and he said, uh, like, first seven something... Fuck, what did he say? Hold on. Seven down. Yeah, yeah that's it. <laughs> he said, seven down, hundreds more to go. Oh, that was fucking awesome. But yeah, so the the first was Tom Sturridge as Dream, who we've talked about like three or four times now, because he was apparently the front runner months ago, which means he's probably been playing the role for months, but they're just now announcing it. So that was cool to see. It, it, and he's a good actor from what I've seen him in. Um, I don't think I've seen him in anything. I think you have. Oh, and of course, I was just going to say the name of the movie, and I totally forgot it. Orgasmo. <laughs> No, it was not that. He was the stunt cock in Orgasmo. <laughs> A distinguished career. He, he was in On the Road. <laughs> I haven't seen that. Oh, yes. Okay, um, he is in one of my favorite movies, uh, The Boat That Rocked, uh-huh. also known as Pirate Radio. Oh, yeah, I've never seen it. <laughs> it's... I'm aware of it. It's with, uh, what's his name? The British guy. <laughs> which which <laughs> which is like all of them. I was gonna say there's like eight actors in that. <laughs> With the exception of Philip Seymour Hoffman. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I think if pushed, he could be the British guy. <laughs> he could. He was that talented. Yes. No, uh, Nick Frost is who I'm thinking of. Yeah, that's right. Oh, yeah, Bill Nye is in it. It's a fun movie. It's not gonna change your life, but you'll have a damn good time. Oh, Chris O'Dowd. All sorts of people. Seems like a good choice. One of the things that somebody pointed out um, in the image that they used to, for the cast is Tom Sturridge looks like young Neil Gaiman right there. I was just going to say it. I was like, like do you think he looks like a young Neil exactly. Gaiman? <laughs> and obviously Gaiman put a lot of himself into Dream, especially that 80s kind of aloof style he had back then. So to see that, it's like, I, I feel like that was really obvious casting and that Hopefully means it'll work really fucking well. <laughs> Fingers, again, crossed. Yeah. Ankles, all that stuff. And, um, well, should we talk about the one that we definitely didn't see coming? Yeah, and probably the biggest name so far and the biggest surprise to me was Gwendolyn Christie as Lucifer. Right. Um, once again, you know, Netflix has the show Lucifer based on a Neil Gaiman character concept spinoff of The Sandman. I I guess I just assumed that they would use that guy, um, Tom Ellis. But why? Because he's already <laughs> playing the fucking role. <laughs> okay, here's my question about that. For those of you who don't know, Colby knows, because I, I uh, have no problem being vocal about it. I do not like the Netflix series Lucifer. And I've... Since you told me the news about this cast announcement, I've gone and I've watched other videos and I've uh, looked up articles and everyone keeps bringing up the fact that, um, oh, fans might be disappointed that Tom Ellis is not indeed coming over to play Lucifer. And I don't know, my question to that is like, that doesn't surprise me at all. Not just because I don't like Lucifer, but because um, I think they're going for two totally different tones like well, obviously the tone's gonna be different i mean that's that's a given i mean neil gaiman is like the showrunner on this and he barely has anything to do with lucifer the show well exactly so but my question is oh, he did is play to... god on it yeah. <laughs> <laughs> i was very generous of him to lend his time um so anyone who has read both lucifer and the sandman and if you've seen lucifer and if you see that Gaiman is indeed the showrunner for The Sandman. Um, why would you think that Tom Ellis would come over just because he's playing Lucifer in basically the CW version? Because, especially recently, 
DC has uh, tried really hard to like circle their wagons when it comes to their television content, especially. Tom Ellis played Lucifer on Crisis on Infinite Earths, a series that has absolutely nothing to do with Lucifer in a really, really fucking good scene between him and John Constantine. Uh, and that, that one scene, to me, showed what he could do with the role, given a little bit of style. <laughs> <laughs> well, I won't deny that we're kind of going down a rabbit hole here, but Tom Ellis is a good actor, and he does a good job as Lucifer. I don't expect that to be 100% in line with the comic, but it I, I wasn't surprised yeah. that he wasn't cast. Let's just put it that way. Long story short. Yeah, I guess I wasn't surprised either. I mean, at the end of the day, I wasn't really that surprised. But also, Lucifer's not the star. No. I mean, this character's probably going to be in it for like half of an episode. So um, it just, again, it seems weird that if you've already got this actor under contract, why not snag him for a couple days? <laughs> but all that said, I think Gwendolyn Christie is a fucking great choice for it. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. I think she'll do very well. I think she'll be very compelling in the role. Yeah. And, you know, a lot of people, when they talk about her, um, people always com comment about her uh, you know, tall stature, shock of blonde hair. But very few people ever comment about her, like, commanding voice. She has a killer voice. Yeah, and I think that's probably 99% of the reason she was cast. Because anyone can look intimidating on film or, um, you know, with the right angles. Anyone can look like anything. But you can't fake that, that uh, the command that, that a good voice has. Exactly. And uh, if there's someone out there that can make this happen, I think um, Gwendolyn Christie ASMR needs to happen. <laughs> I, I don't know about that. <laughs> oh, come on. <laughs> I like her voice, but I don't hear it as like ASMR voice. Oh, I bet it's you like I, I wouldn't want to I wouldn't want like ASMR to like command me to worship them, you know? <laughs> but then again, I don't really like ASMR, so maybe I'm not maybe I'm not listening to it right. Maybe that is the fucking purpose. You weirdos. <laughs> Go to sleep now. No. Oh, she's gonna be great. I have every we have every confidence. Next up we have Vivian. Akamapong? Ak Akampong? I think that's Vivian how I'm... Vivian Akampong. Akampong, yes. That's how I'm going to say it until I'm corrected. <laughs> um, she's playing Lucien, which is like spelled slightly differently to give it a feminine slant on the name, which I that's an actress I have never heard of, <laughs> and I don't believe I've seen anything that she's been in. Um, have you ever seen or heard of that BBC show, Death in Paradise? I've heard of it, but never seen it. She's in that. Okay. So I've never seen anything she's been in. <laughs> but uh, one of the things that w that's weird to me is looking at her face, there's something about her eyebrows and nose that looks like Lucian in the comic to me. Really? Yeah. I don't know why. I don't know why that is, and I don't think it's intentional. It might just be me kind of projecting onto her a look of Lucian. But it's just something about, like, when I see... The way her eyebrows arc down, meeting her nose, I like imagine Lucian's weird frilly hair and little glasses right there mm -hmm. on the bridge of her nose, and then like like a, a jacket with tails, <laughs> like for just something something weird. That my mind just fills in when I look at her face. I don't know why. <laughs> it it could work. I mean, my first initial. Um... My first initial reaction was, uh, um, oh, she's, she's way too beautiful. She's way too pretty. But then again, that's what you know, makeup and costuming is for. It's making movies, dude. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Apparently, there's been some uh, controversy about a black woman playing this character. Oh, God. Which, I really? mean, it's the internet, so of course there's going to be fucking controversy because fans are terrible. <laughs> um, uh. But uh, somebody pointed out that the only thing that matters about Lucian is that Lucian was the first raven. Oh, yes. And this person's like, I will die on this hill. That has to be mentioned. <laughs> and Neil Gaiman responded with like, yes, it is. <laughs> <laughs> okay, good, good, good. <laughs> well, kind of in line with that, uh, you probably have read this interview or heard this quote, Neil Gaiman talking about the fact that the series will start in 1916, but it yeah. will end in now. In, yeah, in, so in, instead of like 76 years in prison, it was 106 or something like that. Exactly, exactly. So it makes sense that since it will be set in modern times that things are going to be changed a little bit. And he commented on that as well, like what 
can we do with characters and gender and so yeah well who the fuck cares it could be set in the 80s and have a black female illusion i don't give a shit right it's not it's not a character that is race dependent no it is not it's not uh it's not you know luke cage (laughs) a character that has to be a black male because that's a part of his character or, I don't know, I'm struggling to think of somebody else. <laughs> right, right. Because uh, for the most part, I think most characters aren't race-dependent. No. Um, you know, I don't know, Shang-Chi. It would be hard to make Shang-Chi as somebody else but a Chinese dude. True, <laughs> true. That gets awkward. But Lucian is literally a dream, you know? It's a, a character who's a dream. 99.9% of the characters in Sandman could look however you want them to look. And... If the fucking creator of this series is cool with it, then everyone else should be too. <laughs> exactly. Well said. And then who else? So who else we got? And, uh, probably the like most perfectly cast to me was Charles Dance as Rudrick Burgess. Right. The dude that traps Dream. That was that was weird to me because that's a he obviously looks the part, almost cartoonishly so, um, to the point where I hadn't even really considered him for that role. Just, oh, really? just because, I mean, you know, it's one of those, he's a big actor, uh, that's a small role, they look too much alike, <laughs> so of course they're not going to think of him. They're going to go against type. <laughs> <laughs> nope. <laughs> and we're like, you, there can be none other. But yeah. So yeah, so I'm sure he's only going to be in an episode, maybe two, but uh, great casting, very interesting. Here, here. The next up is Boyd Holbrook, is the Corinthian, which I think... I think I had actually thought about him, like, years ago in connection to the role. Oh, really? Yeah. I admittedly had to uh, uh, have my memory jogged because I didn't, I couldn't remember who he was at first. And I was like, yeah. oh, the bad guy from Logan, yes. Yeah. He's also the good guy in The Predator. That's right, he is. That dumpster fire. <laughs> I've him. seen worse. <laughs> I've seen worse within that franchise. <laughs> Well, well, that's a whole other conversation we could have. What is the worst Predator movie? AVP. <laughs> Very fucking easily. Not even, uh, not even close. <laughs> First Alien vs. Predator. Really? Yes. Oh, yes. Mm-hmm. That's another podcast, yes. folks. <laughs> Just, the, here's, here's a really easy way to, to tell. Look at all the movies in the, in the Alien, Predator, any of those franchises. Look at any of those movies and tell me which one is rated PG-13. <laughs> I'm not saying AVP is good. I'm not saying it's a great movie. But um, I don't know if I had to pick between sitting down to watch Predator or whatever they fucking the called it. The Predator. Or and, uh, AVP. If you had, did it to me at gunpoint, I would probably pick AVP. I'd pick The Predator. Very easily. <laughs> and I've watched both many times. Like, I've watched this entire franchise more times than most people can count. <laughs> and. <laughs> and Oh, God, AVP is the worst thing ever. <laughs> he just shuddered visibly. I don't say that lightly. There are few hills I will die on. <laughs> that is one. Yes. Some people will die on the Lucian Hill. I will die on AVP. <laughs> it sucks. Uh, anyway, so <laughs> what are we talking about, Sandman? Boyd Holbrook, yeah. Uh, the, every time I see him, I just think of really not even the movie Logan, but the trailer for it where uh, there's a scene of him staring down Hugh Jackman, and he says, what does he say? Uh, I want the girl. <laughs> <laughs> and, then, and then there's a scene of X-23 looking all pissed off, walking towards him, and he's going, no, no. Stay. <laughs> <laughs> no. Yeah, he was such, uh, he was so easy to hate in that movie. Yeah. So I think he'll probably do a good job as the Corinthian. Yeah, for sure. Obviously, my first choice was Michael Fassbender, but you know what? Right. I'll learn to get over it. <laughs> the only shall... thing I will say is that Boyd Holbrook cast over Michael Fassbender is worse than Alien vs. Predator. <laughs> wow, really? <laughs> That's the new hill that you're going to mm-hmm. die on? <laughs> I'm already dead. <laughs> on the inside. <laughs> Thanks to this casting. Spirit is just murdered. (laughs) (laughs) And then the last two are the duo of Cain and Abel, Asim Chaudhry as Abel, and Sanjeev Shaskar as Cain. Neither of which I'm familiar with. 
um, the publicity photos that they have of them. The funny thing, too, is I was already filling it in in my mind. Like, on Kane, I was already imagining his little glasses sitting on his nose. Uh-huh. And then on Abel, I was imagining... Uh, See how he's, like, laughing in that picture? I was imagining, like, Goldie sitting right here nuzzling against him. Oh. <laughs> I can see it now, too. Yeah. <laughs> he's got a great <laughs> smile. I saw his photo, and I was like, yeah, yeah, that will... He look, He looks like the comic, almost. Yeah, exactly. A few touches yeah. here and there. That, that like, uh, kind of goofy grin they, they, he has in the picture. It's fucking great. Yeah, they look They look good. I'm completely unfamiliar with either their work. Apparently, they've, they're, they've both been in a ton of shit, so um, they're, like, seasoned actors i think um asim is a comedian maybe okay maybe i read that i think i looked him up on twitter i don't remember now i looked up a lot of shit um, <laughs> so many tabs <laughs> but anyway um they look good um obviously i think i mentioned my first choice for kane back in the day was uh john glover that's right. Which I will still always see when I arrive. I'll always hear when I read the comic. Um, unless, I don't know, maybe I'll end up hearing Sanji after I see the show. <laughs> maybe he will supplant Glover. Yeah. Oh, one of the guys was in Good Omens. Oh, huh. Oh. Uh, I'm not familiar with their work either, but I, I like the fact, and to anyone out there who is familiar with their work, please comment and fill us in. But... Um, and forgive me for not knowing, but they could have just easily gone with big names for everybody mm-hmm. because they have that clout, they have that money, and the fact that they're bringing in relatively unknown, at least to popular audiences, um, these actors and giving them a chance to shine in these amazing roles from this epic story, I think it's great. It's going to be a lot of fun. Yeah. And if not, we'll cry about it here. <laughs> Curious to see where they go from here. The only other character that I know is going to be in it is William Shakespeare. Oh, that's right. Um, Gaiman said on Twitter the other day that that Shakespeare will be cast. And they've written scenes for the, for him, but they're not they're not to that point yet. Um, so that that's going to be interesting and really curious to see where they go after this. It'll be Taron Edgerton. Could be. <laughs> Who knows? Who the fuck knows? I don't know. He played Shakespeare before. He's British. He's probably played played the role. He's probably played the role at some point. <laughs> Possibly. Yeah, he started Rocket Man. That was that famous Shakespeare adaptation. Right. About, right. Uh, about some old Billy Shakespeare. Foray into rock and roll. Oh wow! On IMDb, he's already credited as John Constantine in The Sandman. Ooh, that's a little presumptuous, yeah, isn't it? That's fucking IMDb. You see, look, the show's already got a 9.6 out of 10. <laughs> IMDb. Fucking IMDb. The funny thing, oh, like Kat Dennings. Oh, no, this is this is the audio. Oh, 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 okay. They don't list audio shit on IMDb. This shouldn't be on here. Guys. Guys. That's dumb. Remember? I mean, granted, it's... I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give it a 10. <laughs> <laughs> It's just weird. They've never done audio stuff before. Branching out, apparently. It's all because it came in that Blu-ray box. I told you. I loved the <laughs> Blu-ray box that it came in. Never seen an audio drama like that. Now because of that. Hey, that's a really good segue that I just pissed away, too. Speaking of a Sandman audio drama, that was also announced on the same day as all the casting. It was announced that that's coming back for two more seasons covering the next i don't know how many fucking volumes so the first season covered three volumes the transitive property (laughs) volume two should cover three and volume three should cover three which would equal out nine total which i believe is a complete run is it nine or ten i don't know regardless i would hope that they'd be able to fit in the entire series proper but who knows so is it going to be the same cast though that's up in the air. I would assume so, because it's, you know, Neil Gaiman's still producing it. Dirk Maggs is still directing it. Audible's still releasing it. I would be really surprised if they didn't already just fucking slam through all the recording, <laughs> you know? <laughs> <laughs> again, they hired some, like, big-name a- actors, like Michael Sheen played Lucifer in the first volume, and he's in it for two minutes, 
Mm-hmm. You know, because Lucifer's only in that one story. So, fuck, might as well just give him all the pages for uh, Seasons of Mist and have him rattle through those real quick while he's here. <laughs> I would hope, you know, I mean, who knows? I, I really hope they retain the same cast, but there's, there's, no, there's no guarantee right now. We will find out. Yeah. I still need to listen to the first series. Yeah, you do. <laughs> I've only told you that like a million times. It's on sale right now, too. The disc is... 21 bucks. Oh, my goodness. Down from 30. Okay. I might have to venture onto the evil Amazon. It's, a, it's literally, like, it's produced by Amazon. I know. It's the it only is. way you can I buy know. it. <laughs> You're like that lady that argues with Neil Gaiman about it. <laughs> no, I am not. <laughs> you, can either, you can either have an Amazon Sandman series, or you can not have Sandman. <laughs> that is true. And I would rather have a Sandman series, honestly. I would like to not live in a world where there is no Sandman series. So, okay. I think all of our news is done now. <laughs> Time for the series episode. Fuck. Time for the episode proper. <laughs> <laughs> the meat and potatoes. Yeah. We're talking about Dean Motter and Michael Lark's Terminal City. Okay. So, what's your book report? Yeah, I knew you were going to ask that, and I was a little bit apprehensive, because I don't feel like this is a book where you can give a straightforward (laughs) plot. Exactly. (laughs) It's so character-rich and heavy, but it's it's fantastic. You should read it. And it's almost like the plot doesn't fucking matter. It really doesn't. One of my my favorite (laughs) things about it, so the the first volume, just called Terminal City, is 12 issues long. The MacGuffin of the first however many issues, is a brief a briefcase connected to a dude's wrist. Right. That is written out in, like, issue five and almost forgotten until the very end. <laughs> the dude the dude who's important, like, who doesn't know what the briefcase is on his arm, where he is, why he's there, literally just runs off panel at one point, and you never see him again. <laughs> and he's gone. Yeah, like, yeah. the most important character in the story just disappears from it, and you never get resolution for that. And I love that. Right? <laughs> Like we, and we never we never learn what's in the yeah. suitcase. Never, you, yeah, at the very end of the first volume, so, like a garbage man opens it up and it glows green and his eyes change and that's it. Right. <laughs> so it's something important. <laughs> Whatever it was. <laughs> a summation, how about? I will attempt a summation. For those of you who are not familiar with this book, it is a uh, retro-futuristic take on the 90s. So it's like the 50s aesthetic set in the 1990s and it features a motley crew of characters centered around this place called the Herculean Arms Hotel and the comings and goings of this hotel uh, um, the workers, gangsters, corrupt city officials it's very noir it's kind of like a Saturday morning cartoon if that Saturday morning cartoon could get away with showing breasts is there any nudity? I don't recall any nudity. There's boobs. Oh, all right. <laughs> One of my favorite things about it is that it presents a ton of weird, eclectic characters, but the main character of the series is the city. Right. It has more personality than almost anyone else, and yet all of these characters have huge personalities. <laughs> exactly. And that's what's really cool, too, is that I found that the way um, Dean Motter writes not to take anything away from Michael Lark, because I like Michael Lark. He did a lot of work on the graphic novel adaptation of The Dark Tower, which I love. Oh, I He's a really good artist. But Motter's writing about Terminal City, like you said, making it this character, is just so infused in the artwork that it's. it was hard for me. I, I forgot sometimes that Dean Motter didn't draw it, too. So I've said this before, I think, but I fucking love... Art Deco. Like, I love that design sense. So I hear Dean Motter's words in the art, but the way Michael Lark fills out the city just blows me away. And I think that these two are like a perfect team for something like this. I don't even know how to describe this, but I feel like even the names and the speech of the series is Art Deco. It is. And that doesn't make any fucking sense, but there's something about it that, like, that feels that way to me. 
like the the entire city, uh, Terminal City, is built around this this head of a statue called the Colossus of Rhodes, but it's R O A D S Rhodes, you know, like that you drive on, and just something about that idea of the Colossus of Rhodes, the the mythical uh, whatever statue that combined with this like American driving down the street sensibility. There's so that weird retro futuristic fusion that even in the way people talk and the names of things in this series that I fucking love. <laughs> There's a lot of little tidbits like that throughout the whole thing. You mentioned um, when we were talking about uh, some of the characters previously, like the names of the characters. Well, we'll get into that. I've got a whole list of names. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but going back to that, so like there's also Cast Iron Beach. Right. That, this weird flat metal beach near the near the uh, river or whatever. Like that's fucking awesome. That's such a weird, <laughs> like it feels to me like the aesthetic of the Bioshock video games infused in this weird comical uh, 1950s world. That's a good way to put it. As, well, especially since I don't play a Bioshock, but yeah, now that you mention it, the, those two worlds share a lot. Yeah, and I just, I fucking love that. But again, Colossus of Rhodes, Cast Iron Beach. Oh, um, my favorite, though, is the Brave New World's Fair. The Brave New World's <laughs> Fair, yes. yes. <laughs> From, uh, and as they say, that took place in 1984. <laughs> <laughs> well, and, well, that's character names. We'll get to that. <laughs> <laughs> but, um... Oh, and then and, uh, the sequel, um, Aerial Graffiti, had a place called The Bar Nun, N-U-N, <laughs> which was a ranch and convent. Yes, <laughs> yes. <laughs> that was one of my favorites, The Bar Nun, Ranch, and Convent. So I can imagine Dean Motter, like, plotting out this series and just, like, sitting with a piece of paper in a joint and being like, The Bar Nun, I'm going to write that down. <laughs> oh, God, that's a good one. <laughs> New World's Fair, yeah. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> he was right there, good. Oh, and I love that the bar at the arms is called the Elbow Room. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I was like, ah, that's that's wonderful. That's so there good. was another bar, too, that I wanted to write down and I forgot. So there's two other clubs that they go to. I, I can't remember. But it, it doesn't matter, because there are some really fucking good names in this. Uh, so let, let's let's go into the characters' names. My first and favorite is the villain of the first volume, Lil Big Lil. <laughs> she's a hoot. Yeah. <laughs> I like the fact that the first time you see her, she's sitting down. And the way Lark draws her uh, from a seated position, she looks huge. Mm -hmm. She looks like this. She's this big, intimidating woman. And then you see her a couple panels and she's like maybe four feet tall. Yeah. <laughs> the cover of issue five shows her holding a Tommy gun, hanging out the side of like a futuristic sci-fi hot rod, um, chomping a cigarette with the Colossus of Rhodes in the background. And I, I love that cover. And I just, I don't know, I love the look of the character, her acerbic personality and all that. She's such a cool villain, you know, like this little squat albino gangster. Yeah. <laughs> like bright red lips and bright blue eyeshadow. Yeah, little big Lil. And everyone's so afraid of her. Like, you know, these thugs that are twice her size, they're yeah. all so afraid of her. <laughs> I've actually called my daughter that a few times because her name's Lillian, and <laughs> I shorten it to Lil often, and I'll call her Lil Big Lil every once in a while. <laughs> but yeah, uh, okay, next characters. Uh, the brothers, Mikasa and Sukasa. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> Just perfectly named. And also, there is the... Uh, uh, the Habit and Costello skit runs continuously yes. between them in some form or another. It's, yeah, just a constant who's on first between these two French brothers that are always always have a scheme going, but never seem to ever get anywhere with their schemes. They're really bad con men. They're always like uh, a conversation or two past getting what they need. You know, like <laughs> right, right, exactly. Some, somebody's beat them to them. Somebody's beat them to the booty by like. Oh, a word, you know. <laughs> but just a little bit behind everybody else. They try. They have a great back and forth throughout the whole series. And again, just characters who show up and they're they're fun to watch. Their interactions are just great. Okay, next up, the boxer Kid Gloves. <laughs> <laughs> again, excellent name. Yeah, just the punch drunk dude who uh he's like working as a janitor now, and then when the dude that owns the 
Park comes back and he gets back in the game. I love the whole thing about him fighting up the evolutionary chain. Yeah, yeah. evolutionary. Yeah. This is this weird boxing promotion where his promoter or manager, whatever, who is also an explorer, travels the world and finds like random missing link primates and then forces them in the ring with boxing gloves. Kid gloves just wails on them. the other weird thing about this book is like the yeti exists yeah exactly and it's not questioned or anything in the sequel the loch ness monster shows up you know yeah uh, he catches it and brings it uh back for uh an exhibit at a dinner party <laughs> right right <laughs> and yeah and no one bats an eye it's just like okay and that's what you do yeah and then kid gloves fights the robot at the like that's the big ending is him fighting the robot and uh, the poor poor fella doesn't make it out <laughs> i was kind of sad to see him go yeah. I wish he could have stuck around yeah, later. Yeah, exactly. He was a good character. Again, this is a fucking great name. And then uh, one of the main characters is Charity Ball. <laughs> with her sister is, what was it, Hope and... Faith. Faith, yes. <laughs> they all end their triplets. Yes. <laughs> I just love how it's Hope, Faith, and Charity, but, like, only one of their names works, you know? Like, mm. Hope Ball, Faith Ball, Charity Ball. <laughs> <laughs> right. It's just such a weird niche, like... It, it feels like a joke that isn't aware of itself, you know? But, right. But it is. <laughs> like, in anything else, it'd be like, oh, come on. <laughs> Too on the nose. Yeah. Like, I could see a Batman villain being named that and being, like, eye-rolling when you hear it. And, like, oh, I gotta change that name in the movie because people aren't gonna buy it. You know, like, Edward Nigma. Yeah. Like, like you know, Enigma in every adaptation, well, not every adaptation, in every recent adaptation or take on the character, they give him a new last name. It's Edward Nashton, and then he changes it to Nigma because, like, oh, I'm really Enigma. Blah, blah, blah. <laughs> <laughs> and so it's, it's to that point, it's like you're past the joke. Pull it back. But unless, like, they fucking hit the joke dead on and then just kept hammering away. <laughs> <laughs> because why not? Yes. <laughs> and it's, it's kind of ironic, too, that the uh, charity ball just happens to be the compulsive gambler. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> And one of my favorite name gags, which I didn't even write down, is that the uh, so the Herculean arms is controlled by a robot concierge desk man or whatever named yeah. Basil, and he is always talking about his fleet of robotic butlers or you know, what are they called? Um, there's a specific name that he gives them. Um. The, the bell, bell, bell bellhoppers. Yes, bellhoppers. Yes. <laughs> yeah. He has a, a fleet of bellhoppers that are never in use, <laughs> and so there's only one human bellhop named Manuel. <laughs> and I fucking love that the one human in this, you know, technically army of robots is named Manuel. Right. <laughs> like right. He's, he's manual labor. <laughs> he, exactly. Not Manuel. He's just Manuel. Yeah. And I, and I don't know that they ever give his last name, but if they did, I assume it would be a play on labor. Probably. <laughs> <laughs> Probably. And just that, that poor bellhop who's always getting put upon by uh, by Basil. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> but then uh, so after Charity Ball, oh, uh, there's the aging celebrity Lance Boyle. <laughs> Which is just a gross name, but I love it. So that actually, damn it, I was going to do some, some uh, double checking because there's a video game from the 90s. Oh, called Mega Race. I found it. And it was this racing video game. It was like a sci-fi racing game. There was a host, like a real-life human host, who would come in and be like, like, hey, cats and kittens, get out there and fucking race, blah, blah, blah. It was just like sleazy, like used car salesman kind of dude. And his name was Lance Boyle. Oh, <laughs> there he yeah. is. Is that Colin Quinn? No, it's not. Wait, you're thinking of oh, Colin oh, Mockery, Mockery yes. and that is not him. No, that kind of looked like him there for a second. But yeah, I, I used to play this game with my friend Matt. I will never forget Lance Boyle in this stupid old game. <laughs> and so whenever whenever I read Lance Boyle's dialogue in this comic, I hear that dude's voice. <laughs> <laughs> Ooh. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so the next name, uh, the, the villain in Volume 2 is that giant Hispanic robot right. <laughs> named XLNC. Exactly. Which is so fucking amazing, too. <laughs> I just realized, I said the first volume was 12 issues long. It's actually nine. The second one is five. Yes. There's a line that Excellency 
says uh, when they first introduced him in the, the second volume where he's on a plane like in disguise it's this giant robot with like a cathode tube head wearing a fedora and an overcoat and he walks uh he walks by his girlfriend and says stay here shortcakes and he walks over to the dude he's tracking down and goes well if it isn't my old amigo jose and jose goes Oh no! And he goes, oh, see. <laughs> <laughs> the other weird, like this is this is how much Modern just commits, and he really doesn't care. There's a part in there with him and his girlfriend where they get done having some gangster type meeting or something, or threatening somebody, and they get in the car, and she's like, "Poopsie, can we stop for food? I think I'm eating for two now." And he's like, "Ay ay ay!" And you're like, "What?" what? <laughs> Reminds me of that Fred Armisen character on SNL when they would always like zoom in on his face and go, Adios, meal! <laughs> oh, yeah, Latina robot. Who knew? <laughs> yeah, I fucking, I, again, it's just such a weird world that was created for this that works so fucking perfectly and insularly. <laughs> right, right. But like you mentioned, or, oh, there's there's one more that we should probably yeah one one more name that I have down, which is Rhoda Hell. <laughs> <laughs> Rhoda Hell, yeah, that's um oh Rhoda the, the burlesque dancer, right? Yeah. She's in the yes. second volume, burlesque dancer with a shady past. <laughs> Rhoda Hell. <laughs> oh, and then of course there's our main mainish character. Um, Told through his eyes a lot. The Co- human fly. The human fly, Cosmo Quinn. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I don't think that's a play on anything. It's just a cool name. Yeah, <laughs> and his sidekick BB. That's right. Oh, and um, the uh, the maid and, and waitress at the Herculean Arms, uh, Jezebel. Yeah, Jezebel. <laughs> she doesn't get a last name either. Yeah. She's just Jezebel. <laughs> I really like the interplay between Jezebel and BB. Me too. Kind of like they uh, become roommates and best friends. They kind of hate each other and then love each other. Like there's there's a very weirdly well rounded relationship in the few panels that they hang out together. Right, right. <clears throat> it's a good friendship yeah. and a, a good uh, female friendship too. Yeah, exactly. Like there's a part in the second one where Manuel makes the mistake <laughs> of <laughs> of saying yes to both women to go to this. Um, what is it? The the uh, um, Oh, the Neptune, the yeah. Neptune ball, or yeah, 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 like yeah, that. Right. yeah, yeah, yeah. He makes a mistake of of double dating these two women to this event, and goes through these great lengths to try <laughs> to not get them to run into each other. But when they do, like anyone else could have written that as like some silly cat fight. But when they both find out, they just laugh about it. They th- they think yeah. it's hilarious and move on. I love how it's set up. Because it's one of those like sitcom, like, oh no, he's got two dates. How's he gonna work out? Or how's it gonna work out? And it's like, it's like he's like, oh geez, there they both are. And it starts with him like going over to say hi to one and then going over to say hi to the other. And then it Im- immediately falls apart, you know? <laughs> it's like literally like one page of him trying to, to make it work. And then they both see each other and like, what the hell are you doing? <laughs> <laughs> right. And like in a fucking sitcom, that would be, you know, it's like fucking Mrs. Doubtfire. You know, when he's at dinner with his family and he has to run to the bathroom and put the makeup on and run back. And or it feels it feels like it's a play on that in, in that you think it's going to be this big to do. And it, his, his subterfuge lasts like two minutes. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Before they figure it out. It's pretty good. And what's interesting, too, about BB is that, uh, like we we're talking about in terms of aesthetic, Terminal City being the character and it has all these post-modernism uh, flares to it. Um, but you look at BB when she first arrives in Terminal City, her look is totally like early nineties with her hair mm-hmm. and she's got the La Dolce Vita coat on. Again, it's just, it feels out of place in the best of ways because there's all these retro flourishes yet, um, it, it still feels like it could be set in the nineties. <laughs> well that, I mean, that's the key to retro futurism. It's the merging of past and present and future the the way it balances that in its style is i don't know second to none you, you mentioned like the 90s aspects of her but she also has 
bandana in her hair and she wears overalls. It's, a... it's, it's very like Rosie the Riveter meets, um, I don't know, fucking 90s punk. <laughs> right, right, exactly. exactly. And she is a Riveter. Yeah, yeah, exactly. She's literally Riveter. <laughs> Becomes a window washer. <laughs> Which I love that that is one of like, like the high demand jobs in uh, um, Terminal City. It's just window washer. Because there's these, all these giant ornate crazy buildings that yeah of course you need to fucking keep those clean <laughs> indeed indeed yeah full-time job um another aspect of the society in this that i love just like the little shit that gets brought up and not explained at all just the things that they have to deal with in everyday life like uh cosmo quinn is an is an addict of electrocane <laughs> <laughs> and they never really explain what that is other than you see him walk into like a bathroom stall and then you see like a bright light shoot out and then he comes out with like bug eyes and frayed hair. <laughs> like he stuck his finger in an electric yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's like some weird, you know, combination of cocaine and electricity. <laughs> I guess so. We don't know how it's administered, but then it doesn't matter. <laughs> and I fucking love that because it, it, it's, it's mentioned in both. In the first volume, you see a couple people use it. And I, I just love that that weird... Everything is mixed with something in this world. Even the drugs have some sort of weird <laughs> retro-future connection. Indeed. And then oh, in issue two, there's a scene that I love that I don't think has really any impact on the overall narrative. So in issue two, it's around the time Mikasa and Sukasa are trying to steal the case in the restaurant. You see this dude just burst in that looks like Wesley Dodds. Yes! And he, he goes, nobody move! And he throws a smoke grenade and there's a the door is open and the smoke grenade just rolls out of the, of the <laughs> restaurant. Boink, boink. And he goes, shit! <laughs> <laughs> and it just runs off. <laughs> And that's like all you see of him. He crashes into the cop, um, uh, Detective Habib, and then like that's that's it. I don't know why that character's in there, what what he has to do with the narrative, but that's that's his only purpose. <laughs> <laughs> well, actually, that's funny because when I first saw that scene for a moment, I was like, oh god, did Colby tell me that Wesley Dodds was in this? <laughs> <laughs> and I just forgot. But I, I just, it's just one of the weird occurrences that people have to deal with in Terminal City. Occasionally some dude will show up with a smoke grenade and a gas mask and try to rob your diner. I, apparently so. And we didn't mention, um, now that I'm looking right at her, we did not mention Monique. Oh yeah, the woman in red. Woman in red, yes. This mute vigilante who just shows up to uh, uh, you know, save the good guys yeah. on occasion. And a chunk of it is narrated possibly by her journal or internal monologue or... Something like that. Otherworldly voice watching her <laughs> and it like uh portrays the city as as like a i don't know like an african velt but yeah that's it's really a weird character with no backstory no no real explanation she's just a part of the city <laughs> right right we think that maybe her and monty vickers were a thing at one time possibly yeah but no she just she shows was, up she was a part of the old uh the old guard of daredevils and stuff from right. the old day which is another thing i love is that the primary form of entertainment in like the old school quote terminal city was just like stuntmen and performers like oh there's a sky rider and cosmo quinn could scale buildings that was his power he just climbed shit for people for crowds people would just come out and watch yeah monty had a had a big zoo um kid gloves was a prize fighter you know like uh just such a weird interesting culture that the city has Another thing I really love about the single issues is that it actually has, um, like, extras in it. Oh, yes, Like, nice. character sketches. Some of them, I think issue two or three, opens with a letter from BB to her brother. Oh. On the front page. Um, it's stuff that, that you don't usually see in these. But, like, um, the end of issue two, there's a, a couple pages of sketches called Terminal Citizens. And it's got a little... Inscription from Dean Motter. It says, On these pages is, is a small collection of Mr. Lark and my early encounters with the residents of Terminal City. The group is a somewhat different one these days. Some left town, others vanished mysteriously, some just changed hairstyles. Hey, 
Once a sprawling metropolis without a little history. Just thought you might find him interesting. Dean Motter, last seen in the Pavilion of Progress. <laughs> That's cool. A lot of these characters, you can see what they become. Nero Black, Monique. I love character sketches. Basil, Jezebel. Oh, there's Habib. Manuel. <laughs> <laughs> Poor Manuel. Put upon. Hey, he, he uh, comes back in the end. He does. I guess a couple characters get resolution with their stories, but Manuel's is probably the most, uh, I don't know, Dickensian. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good descriptor for it, yes, yes, that applies. <laughs> Manuel's constantly put upon by the staff of the Herculean arms, gets no respect from his boss, constantly being electrocuted, and then in the end you find out that he's the heir to the, to the building. To the, yeah, exactly. To the estate of the owner. And uh, so he gets to boss around the robot. <laughs> was massively wealthy, yes. Speaking of, I'm going to go into Basil for a second. I think it's in the sequel. There's an exchange that Basil has that fucking floored me. Like, I had to stop reading for a second because I was laughing on this reread. So he's working the front desk, and this old woman comes up with a, with a pet Komodo dragon, like a basilisk, he calls it. And he's like, yeah, fucking people with their goddamn pets and all that. And she's like, um, excuse me, there weren't any of those delicious pillow mints left on my bed this morning, and I want to know what the deal with that is, and I want to, you know, I want to, fucking, she's just being a Karen. Yeah, she is. <laughs> and Basil, Basil uh, kindly suggests that uh, maybe it's her goddamn basilisk that's <laughs> eating the mints, and that if she weren't personal friends with the owner of the building, he wouldn't even allow that mongrel in here. <laughs> and she goes, well, I never. And he responds with, well, you'd better get around to it soon. It doesn't look like you have much time left. <laughs> he's such a dick. <laughs> but he's so hilarious. I just, I've heard the phrase, well, I never, like a million times. And I've never heard a comeback to it. That's a good comeback. And to hear, like, well, you better get around to it soon. <laughs> <laughs> he's so snippy. <laughs> there's, yeah, there's another line in there where he says something along the lines of, gee, the only thing worse than the help is the guests. <laughs> <laughs> You don't know what Basil's backstory is, but you wonder how he got programmed and <laughs> how he ended up with the arms. Because <laughs> I don't think he likes his job. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I forgot to mention uh, another another bit, like uh, going back to the electrocane, another quirk of life in Terminal City is Escher Syndrome. Yes. <laughs> this is the weird affliction that people get where they start sleepwalking in areas of the city that they can't logically get to otherwise. Right. And it starts, the way the way it starts, it looks like it's just people showing up on, like, balconies and then falling to their deaths. Because, mm -hmm. like, there's a scene early on where Cosmo is going up against Lil Big Lil, and then you see just a random person fall down past him. <laughs> right. <laughs> and, uh, but then later you see that it's literally, like, an M.C. Escher painting where there's people walking on the sides of buildings who are, like, you know, up upside down and all of it and it's so fucking weird and again no explanation volume two you find find out that jezebel has it bb ends up saving her and yeah anyway but i just I, I love that just weird these people just live in a world where you can suddenly find yourself walking on the side of the building and maybe fall to your death <laughs> well yeah like one i think it's jezebel or jezebel or bb one of them says um should, like should we call the police I'm like no no no, don't wake them up <laughs> yeah, yeah exactly it's just it's just life you have to deal with it yeah they'll be okay and there's that reoccurring bit in volume two where bb and jezebel keep arguing about the window like you left the window open again like no i didn't yeah, you did <laughs> On oh, issue eight of the first volume, there's a scene where they go to Ralph's Used Robots. <laughs> yes. And it's just full of cameos. Like, you see R2-D2 and uh, Maria from Metropolis. Yeah. I think they actually name check her. I think so. I, I, I think they do. And it, she's um, some type of, uh, um, they, like, she's an oldie but a goodie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think there's a Dalek in there. And, yeah, it's just fun, fun old stuff. Uh, I have a question I wanted to ask you. Dean Motter, for those of you who don't know, also wrote a series called Electropolis. Yeah, I actually looked into that <laughs> just this morning. <laughs> have you read it? No. Uh, it looks like it's produced by Dark Horse. I'm on Dean Motter's website right now. And uh, it looks like it's not connected to Terminal City at all, but it's kind of a spiritual sequel. On his website, he says that uh, one of a uh, critic described it as the thin man and mood lighting meet Fritz Lang's Metropolis 
via Alphaville with a bumpy detour through the Jetsons. That sounds delightful. <laughs> Which also sounds like Terminal City. Yeah, <laughs> sounds great. Alphaville is one of my fucking favorite French New Wave movies. I don't think I've seen it. Directed by uh, Jean-Luc Godard. It's uh, sci-fi. <laughs> so it's... Uh, this is going to take me down a rabbit hole here. <laughs> so there's this character named Lemmy Caution. Lemmy Caution. Lemmy Caution. Lemmy Caution, okay. Lemmy Caution is a detective in a series of pulp novels in like the 1930s to 40s. So back in the 40s, this actor named Eddie Constantine played Lemmy Caution in a series of movies. And he played the role, geez, in one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight movies from 1952 to 1963. Eddie Constantine was an American actor living in France and played this role. And like, it was just pretty standard, you know, uh, uh, hard nailed detective, two fisted tales. <laughs> and uh, Jean-Luc Godard made Alphaville, which is like a neo-noir dystopian sci-fi story. And he just decided to take the character of Lemmy Caution and throw him in it. Because why not? <laughs> yeah. And so um, Eddie Constantine comes back, plays the role. It's filmed in, at the time, modern Paris using, like, there's nothing sci-fi about the way anything looks. But they talk about, like, living in other galaxies. And um, he's trying to track down a sentient computer. And, and it's just this weird mishmash of completely retro style but completely, like, futuristic dialogue and storyline. <laughs> and this movie also killed Constantine's career because they're used to seeing... People were used to seeing Lemmy Caution as, like, the super macho hero. And in this, he's, like, worn out. He just fucking murders guys because they get in his way. Oh, and wow. uh, and it, it, he plays it the role with a lot more humanity and, like, vulnerability. And people hated that. <laughs> they were not ready for that. <laughs> yeah. And he ended up playing the role three more times in just small roles. I'm sorry, two more times. Uh, Constantine played the role, let me caution, from 1952 till 1991. Okay. That's, that's a hell of a that's, career playing that yeah, character. Yeah, But there are some big gaps in there, like from 1965 until 89. You know. <laughs> well, it's true, but yeah, I mean, even actors who play James Bond don't go that yeah, way. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> anyway, I just thought that was interesting. It reminds me somewhat of Terminal City, and Dean Motter brought it up on his website. So. <laughs> there you go. It all connects. And it always comes back around. Everything's coming up vertigo. <laughs> My only complaint is that in this being such an open-ended, sprawling story, you know, we get so few conclusive answers to anything. Yeah. And there's some things that I just want to know. Like, what is the deal with Escher Syndrome? I want to fucking know that. <laughs> or what was the, or, or like the, uh, the dictator. The dictator yeah. who wants the, uh, case. The, the case and the, the jewels. Yeah. So can, the crown jewels. Oh, so that's right. The, yeah. the jewels. What the fuck happened to the jewels? <laughs> I assume they're still in BB and Jezebel's yeah. apartment. They, they just find in a, in a lunchbox. Right. And they try to sell them. The guy's like, no, nah, these are too valuable. Sell them somewhere else. And I think that's the last you see of them. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. They're like the eyeballs that are encased in amber. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. Somebody's eyes. I can't remember yeah. whose, but um, yeah, they take him to a pawn shop and they both like tell a lie at the same time. He's like, yeah. where'd you get this? Yeah. <laughs> She's like, yeah, it, was, it was my grandmother's. We found him. They <laughs> <laughs> look at each other. <laughs> they didn't work out their story. And then the biggest question, though, to me is, who won the race at the end? Indeed. <laughs> and I, I mean, obviously, that's not supposed to be answered. It's one of those, like, endings. It's like like Superman racing the Flash at the end of the Justice League movie. Like, it's just supposed to be that great image of the, the blimp train and, like, hover car or whatever just shooting off into the distance. But uh, I still don't want to know. <laughs> <laughs> But I, I, really, this isn't this isn't a story about answers, and you shouldn't go into it looking for them. You should just enjoy the ride and the characters and the, the world that is created. Absolutely, absolutely. If I only had one criticism, and it's a small criticism, I really didn't care that much for if that is Monique's voiceover inner monologue. I 
it didn't really do anything for me because the uh, the noir is already laid on pretty thick in these books in a lot of ways. And uh, for me, that was just like extra frosting on top of frosting. How dare you? <laughs> <laughs> no, I get it. But that's, I mean, that's, that's noir. I guess it would annoy me more if they like cut across the narration, like mm-hmm. issue to issue or not within the same issue. Because as it, as it stands, you get, like, Cosmos in one, hers in another. Uh, there might be another narrator. I can't remember. I think I think there's times when hers and Cosmos show up at the same time. Is it? Or in the same, in the same book. I don't know. Maybe. <laughs> Maybe? No. And, again, it's a small quibble. I had a lot of fun with this book. Yeah. And I, I'm usually not a big fan of narration or overly done narration, but... Like I've said so many times. But for something like this, I think it works a hell of a lot better than it could. It does. Either way, it's a world that you get drawn into. Yeah. So, that's a big vertigo for me. Vertigo to Terminal City. (laughs) Enjoy the trip. Yeah, bring your passport. Because you're going to need it. (laughs) Take a left at the Colossus of Rhodes and don't stop till you hit the... Fuck, what was the nun one called? The (laughs) The bar bar nun. God damn it. Fuck that up. First, you have to turn at the old Lang sign. Yes, yes. (laughs) Forgot about that one. (laughs) Jesus. Well, this really is a a fantastic book, and you'll enjoy yourself, like you said, if you just don't get too hung up over the plot. Just pretend you're... You know, watching a cartoon well, for adults. No, pretend that you're a denizen of Terminal City. Right. <laughs> <laughs> because a- average person that lives in the city isn't going to get answers to any of this shit. They just, they just <laughs> see the craziness that goes on around them. And that's, I, th- I assume that's, that was the intention, is that you're just plunked down in the city with these weird people watching what's going on. You've just got the best seat in the house. <laughs> you do. You do. <laughs> so have a good time. Yeah. So yeah, Terminal City, that's a good one. Where are we going from here? Oh, yeah. I know where we're going from here. <laughs> we're going gonna to start uh, a new new mini-series within Vertigo Voices called Vertigo Voices Pilot Season. Pilot. Stunt pilot. I don't know. It's something about pilot. <laughs> we be piloting. Yeah. Pilot. Sky pilot. That's something. I think so. I think, I'm thinking of... Of tailspin with the sky pirates. <laughs> I forgot about that. Cartoon. Oh, we ain't tailspin. Oh, we ain't tailspin. <laughs> For which we don't own the copyright, but hey. <laughs> I used to fucking love that show, man. Kick, cloud Kicker. I haven't watched that. Was th- I loved that show when it was on? I haven't thought about that for years. I just I was just talking to my friend Bear about that show, and you know how. Uh, Shere Khan is the villain in it. Yeah. Because he was talking about the guy that voiced Shere Khan in the original Jungle Book. And he had some bullshit story about the way he died that turned out to not be true. Um, But uh, I was like, yeah, I don't even remember the guy that played him in the Jungle Book movie. I only remember the voice of Shere Khan in Tailspin. (laughs) Because I watched that show so much as a kid. I'm pretty sure he was played by Tony Jay. Which is a name I should be familiar with because that sounds. Oh, oh, that's um. Tony Tailspin. There he is. Yeah, Ooh. yeah. Uh, uh, that Judge Claude Frollo. I don't know what you're saying. Yes, you do. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's cool. I've never seen that though. <laughs> really? No, I don't, I don't like Disney movies. <laughs> How dare you? <laughs> I I remember. So when The Hunchback came out, I had actually just read the novel. And I remember reading about the movie and being like, this is fucking bullshit. That's not how it ends. That's not how that character's like. (laughs) You're one of those kids. There's talking goddamn gargoyles in this piece of shit. (laughs) Which are admittedly annoying. But (laughs) But anyway, it was just funny because I was in like fifth grade. Sixth grade. I was in sixth grade. And literally, like, yeah, I'd, I'd read the fucking book. <laughs> and probably with copious cliff notes, because there's probably no way I really read the whole thing. <laughs> but I just remember being so irritated with the movie. <laughs> Couldn't pull it off. Anyway, that doesn't matter, because Tony <laughs> J played Shere Khan in Tailspin. I'm right. <laughs> I know voices. You do. My daughter started doing that. 
she was watching something with her mom and she texted me. It was like, Lillian wants me to tell you that she recognized a voice actor from Avatar The Last Airbender. Oh. <laughs> Start him young. That's great. Following in father's footsteps. Uh, anyway, so, yeah, we're going to... Fuck, where did I get so... I don't know what's worse, like going on tangents or then noticing that you're going on tangents and commenting on it. I feel like I do that a lot. I feel like I do that just as much as I go on tangents. <laughs> Christ. <laughs> anyway, we're going to be doing a series on Vertigo TV pilots. It's going to be a good time. I think we're going to start with Preacher and go from there. So if you have any Vertigo shows that you like, let me know, and I will ignore your comment and just watch what I want to watch anyway. <laughs> It'll be fun. Well, except when we get to Lucifer, but, you know, wait, wait for the episode on that. It'll be fine. <laughs> if you say so. I still like that show's objectively not good, but again, like it's it's fine. <laughs> well, yeah, but so is paying taxes. That doesn't mean I look forward to it. <laughs> I like my refund. <laughs> well, at least you can, yeah, you get your refund with taxes. Yeah, so you paid the tax of Lucifer, and now you're getting your refund with Sandman. <laughs> Quit whining, nerd. <laughs> Treat about it later. Fucking fanboy. <laughs> all right. Okay. Uh, like and subscribe. Listen. Fucking share it. Follow us on Twitter at Vertigo Voices. Instagram Vertigo Voices. Email Vertigo Voices at gmail.com. Instagram. I had to think about it. I first. said that. Did you? Yeah, okay. I just did, right. I did it quick so we wouldn't have to do this. <laughs> anyway, carry on. <laughs> all right. Uh, we're done. Go read... Oh, yeah, that's just one thing I forgot to say earlier. You can find the entire Terminal City series in a really nice, um, like, omnibus edition called The Complete Terminal City. Spelled weird. Complete is L-E-A-T. I don't know why. There's other, there's other graphic novels that do that. I don't know if it's, like, a joke that I don't get or, like, a reference or something. Regardless, you can find it. Um, I first read it at the library here in that edition, it's all over Amazon and other fucking booksellers. So read it. It's great. Dean Motter and Michael Lark. FTW. <laughs> People still say that, right? I think so. <laughs> <laughs> all right, good. We're done. Goodbye. Goodbye, all.